be glad that we're called together. Thank you. I'm really glad for this opportunity to get to share with you. Because if there is any kind of uh, icing on the cake for any pastor, it's Christmas and Easter. Not only because of the days, but because we get to see faces that we only see those two times. So it's really wonderful to be able to share this with you today. The scripture I'm reading from today is called Mary's Magnificat. It's a song that um, is sung by Mary when she hears that she's going to be having a baby. And it's actually a song that Hannah sang thousands of years before when she too was given the good news that she would have a baby. And this is how it goes. Oh, how my soul praises the Lord and how my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl, and from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. The reading of the word of God. When my kids were little, uh, one of the books that we loved to read together was called The Upside Down Day. And um, they loved this, and I loved it too because it's very rhythmic. And of course, I loved it because when they picked it, it's very short. And so we could read it over and over and over again. And at bedtime, we knew that it was just a few minutes before we turned the lights off. But it goes a little something like this. From... uh, It starts off from my mother, who can really tell you about upside-down days. Most days are, to say the least, right-side-up. Most nearly all, almost most. But there are some upside-down days. What is an upside-down day? Well, it's a day when bees won't sting and bells won't ring, cows won't moo and ghosts won't boo. Salt won't shake and glass won't break. Well, you get the gist of it. I think that when I think about this story, I don't think there's any room in God's economy for the status quo. Because anything that God does, any time that God decides to intrude God's self into the world, the world's going to be turned upside down. It's going to be an upside down world by the time God gets finished with it. Every encounter. And so when God moves into the world, everything changes. And when God moved into the world with Jesus, the old things that were the way things used to be were changed. The old way things were run were challenged. Our ideas about poverty and about property and power were turned upside down. Success and failure were reversed. And important and trivial are replaced with a new order of things. That's just the nature of this upside down kind of God that we serve. The old is gone, the new has come, and nothing will ever be the same. Nothing could be more true. So Mary has an unprecedented upside-down day, the day the angel makes a visit with her. 
Now, when it comes to scripture, one of the things that's important to remember is that if it's something that's included in the canon, that means included in the Bible, it means that it has a particular special meaning standing out above all the other texts that they could have put together with it. So every time you read a text, you can read it for face value, and it means a lot. But there are layers that go beneath it, that go beyond it. And what is it that, that the, read, the writers are trying to communicate to us? Well, what's trying to be communicated in this is the same thing that's being communicated from beginning till end, is that God's idea of the world and the way the world operates is most times very different with the way the world sees itself and the way the world operates. And even in Mary's Magnificat, she challenges that. One of the first things she asks, because this is so utterly bizarre, what the angel has just told her, you're going to have a son, and she's about 13 years old at this time. And she says what one might ask, how can this be? And... But then, because she's 13, she moves on with kind of that 13-year-old exuberance by declaring, yet nothing is impossible with God. I'm not sure I would be that quick to be able to move forward from that. And here we are, face-to-face with an upside-down world that begins when God is born in the flesh, in the vulnerable, vulnerabilities of being a human being, and they named him Jesus. The scene right before we hear Mary with this incredible song that she has, she's traveling to be with her, her, her much, much older elderly cousin, Mary, Elizabeth, who is astonishingly enough to be um, going to have a baby as well in her old age. So, so we see that the scene is absurd right off the bat. It's upside down. And the coming of the Messiah who will redeem Israel, is anticipated and proclaimed not by archangels and not by high priests or emperors, not even by pastors, but rather to marginalized pregnant women. One young and poor and and unwed and the other far beyond the age to conceive. In fact, because her husband didn't even believe she could do it, he was silenced. And has to be quiet through his whole pregnancy. How things have changed. Later in Jesus' ministry, what I think is so fascinating, in Jesus' ministry, it will be the hated Samaritan woman at a well that he'll choose to first reveal himself as a Messiah to. And then he befriends two unmarried sisters, type A, Martha, and sister dreamer, Mary, along with their brother, Lazarus, become some of his closest friends. And then he champions an adulteress about to be stoned to death with words like, go ahead, if you've never sinned, go ahead and throw the rock. And then he has dinner at a Pharisee's home where they're talking to him and kind of challenging everything he says. And, and he's not even offered the courtesy of a guest by the washing of his feet or by offering him water to, to uh, wash his hands with. And a woman comes up behind him and stands behind him. And she's described as a sinful woman. And she's so moved and touched by the message that Jesus has. She stands behind him weeping, is what the scriptures say. 
And she weeps so hard that it wets his feet, and she dries his feet with her hair. And she kisses them. And then he goes and he invites 12 uneducated common laborers who are fishermen to follow him and to literally change the world. He sees a hated tax collector who just happens to be probably shorter than me, and I'm five feet, sitting up in a tree, and he changes how, how everybody sees him by saying, I'm going to your house today. I wonder if you're starting to see a pattern in the way God operates through Jesus. Do you see this pattern where Jesus is letting the whole world know that the way we judge and rank human beings is not the way that God sees and ranks and judges human beings. It's different. It's an upside-down day. It's an upside-down world. But all of this begins with Mary and Elizabeth. So back to Mary and Elizabeth. They meet in the hill country of Judea to celebrate and probably to commiserate uh, their miraculous pregnancies. And then a baby leaps in a womb, and astonishment is expressed, and songs are sung by two pregnant women. The story is not only odd, but it's joyful, because by presenting it with two women who are so rooted in the basic element of being a human being pregnant, It makes the story fleshy and embodied and earthy, and it helps to kind of deepen our sense of what was to come, and that is incarnation. Incarnation is the word becoming flesh. And so when it's produced in this context, we get a real feel for what that means, flesh. And in the women's actions, the world is turned upside down, And Mary's response in this song, when you go back and read it, because I know you'll want to go study it after today. When you go back and read this story for yourself, I want you to see Mary is saying that God's capacity to act. She's affirming God's holiness. And she's also affirming God's mercy. You know, uh, I grew up most of my adult years and my children were born and everything in San Diego. You know, that little town down the coast. And uh, one of the uh, kind of un- unique things about uh, San Diego is the Starlight Theater. Have you, any of you ever been to that? Well, it's kind of unique because it's set in Balboa Park with the zoo and all of that. But it's been there for years and years, and they put on these incredible uh, professional musicals and plays. Uh, Jesus Christ Superstar I saw there and all these things. But the thing is, it sits right in the flight line of Lindbergh National Airport. And so every, you know, uh, 20 minutes or so, a huge plane looks, sounds like it's going to land in the middle of the audience. So what did they do to get around this? They didn't move the theater. What they did was in the middle of an action, they would, they freeze. Right in the middle of a scene, the orchestra freezes, they freeze, and then the plane passes, and then they go, and so we were going to... And believe me, it's an experience. And it happens throughout the whole thing because it's not just one plane. And it's really quite incredible. And do you know that that's exactly what happened when Mary brings this song? Because what happens when Mary brings this song is she freezes the gospel. It stops. 
we're waiting for the next bit of the story to be told. So now what? But it screeches to a halt with this song. And she, she takes a moment and she stops to say, let's celebrate the greatness and the faithfulness of God. She steps out of that moment, not needing to press on. And she stops and she says, God is wonderful. God is faithful. God is in charge of the world. And this is proven by displacing the proud and the powerful and sending the rich away empty-handed. And you have to understand, she lives in occupied territory. The Roman has occupied the territory. Why else would this song be so poignant to those who read it? It's a message that is odd and it's subversive in the, to the powerful Roman machine that occupied the place at that time. And the fact that Mary sings it is odd and subversive by itself. This young, unwed, pregnant woman, she would be thoroughly despised in her culture, proclaims one of the most important prophetic scriptures that can be found. And the image is extraordinary and almost comical. Young, pregnant Mary gives voice to a song that will be a song for all ages, that will be our song, that will say the world is turned upside down by a wonderful and faithful God. Isn't that incredible? And it goes beyond our own realities, and it goes beyond our, our, our imaginations that have been numbed by everything that's happened in the world. And then the rest of the song announces the bigger implications of the upside-down world that God has inaugurated with the coming of this child. He has scattered the proud, it says. He's brought down the powerful and lifted up the weakest. He's filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. Now, Mary proclaims the promised upside-down future of God as already accomplished. Because if you notice when you read it, she says it as present tense. This is what is happening right now, she says. This is before Jesus is born. Why? Because Jesus has already started by choosing Mary. This 13-year-old, unwed, poor Jewish girl to be lifted up for all generations. So it's not Mary's pride that says, I'm going to be blessed for all generations. What, what the scripture is trying to communicate to you is say, look at who God can use. What about you? That's, that's really the question for today, isn't it? What about you? Are you prepared to admit that God may be speaking to you, even though you might be the most unlikely person? You know, I've been in the ministry now for 35 years, and not, not a week goes by that somebody doesn't say to me, you know, I've never either met a woman in ministry, or I've never met such a short woman in ministry, or, or somebody challenges, you know, still, can you believe that? It's still the female thing in today and age, but it's still there. And somebody challenges, and used to be years ago, I would say, well, you know, the Bible, blah, blah, blah. And now I just say, I know. God chooses the most unlikely people. It's absolutely true. I, I think God was crazy too, but here I am. And I, I wonder, can you understand? Can you understand? This is very significant for us here in this community. That those who are blessed with all the resources they need 
are blessed for one purpose only. Only one purpose. We're not blessed because we're special. We're not blessed because we've done everything right. We're not blessed because of pedigree. God chooses to bless us for one purpose, and that is to take care of those who aren't. Because we have been given the responsibility. With our blessing comes grave responsibilities for this world. So one might say, is that a blessing? Well, it is. Because we're not worried about what we're going to eat next, but we are worried about people who are worried about what they're going to eat next. That's our call and our challenge. Can you learn? The question is then, as we go out from this day, can you and I learn to live and thrive in an upside-down life? Where God blesses those who are poor, God blesses those who mourn, God blesses those who are humble, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, God blesses those who are merciful, God blesses those whose hearts are pure, God blesses those who work for peace, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right. That, the Beatitudes, that are in Matthew 5, that's the upside-down world that we're called into. That is the magnificent enterprise that we celebrate with the birth of Christ. And we remember that it was first celebrated by two pregnant women laughing and singing. And we also celebrate that magnificent enterprise when it enters the world with a cry in the night, of a brand new baby, red-faced, I'm sure, and trembling lips, placed in a feeding trough because there was no room in the inn. Absurd, ridiculous, upside down, the gospel. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you that it wasn't the same old story over and over. A king comes, a king tries to do good, but is still the king. Tries to do good from the throne, but knows nothing about the poor. You came and you showed us what we are about. Thank you. As you connect and convict us today, God, Help us to leave this place so aware of the grave responsibility and the grave privilege. And also help us to understand, God, that we will find our greatest joy, our greatest joy in you, in serving you and in living the world upside down. I ask all these things in the name of Christ. Amen.